0: Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce, the podcast that's here to explore the role of robotic process automation and other digital technologies. Whether you're just getting started or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, if you're curious about where human and digital workers are coming together to transform the future of work, then this podcast is for you. All right, let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with Blue Prism. Today
1: on the podcast, I am delighted to have as my guest, Bruce Hollowell, a Senior Managing Director with the global advisory firm FTI Consulting. Bruce, who is based in North Carolina, is a leader in FTI's health solutions practice. And today, he and I will be chatting about digital transformation in the area of revenue cycle management. Bruce, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, Thank you. So let's start with an intro. Why don't you tell everyone uh, about you yourself and your background?
2: Yeah, so I've been in the business for 40 years. I've had jobs at major healthcare providers from the uh, revenue cycle side to running major consulting firms, revenue cycle solutions, and EDI practices, and outsourcing throughout the uh, healthcare industry. So... Been a long background on all sides. I've dealt with the uh, digital transformation of paper claims to electronic claims, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
1: Awesome. So, let's start with just some context around revenue cycle management. That's a pretty common term today, you hear it all the time, especially. And now that health healthcare providers are at a quick pace are starting to move more toward digital transformation. So for those that are not healthcare experts, tell us what this process involves and and how important it is to this industry, if you would, Bruce.
2: Yeah, so I always like to consider revenue cycle management anything to do with the process of getting paid for a claim. So we start with people coming in the door and we have to deal with the not only the physical issues, but the fiscal issues of what's the insurance, how they going to pay their claim, what is the situation, is there charity required to, what happened to that patient, what was charged, what was the diagnosis for that patient, and then we have to create a thing called a clean claim to an insurance company. That clean claim determines what has been paid and how the insurance company can process. If the insurance company can't process, it requires lots of phone calls. And at the end, we have self-pay, so we're out collecting the co-pays and deductibles from people or the self-pay, and we take that all the way to the point of zero balance. So if you think about revenue cycle in the simplest terms, it's from the time of engagement mm-hmm. to the time that account goes zero balance. All the processes that involve, from a clinical to a billing to a financial all, come, all all come together to create this claim, which creates that final zero balance. Easiest way to think about it.
1: Okay. That's very helpful. Clearly, it covers a lot of things, a lot of processes, a lot of systems, a lot of people, a lot of manual labor. If you had to boil it all down to like one prevailing issue or business challenge, what would that be?
2: Well, when we think about it, if I create a clean claim, and a clean claim is defined by a UB, which is a uniform bill. That is being, that is being submitted to the government or an insurance company that will pay. So Medicare pays a claim in 14 days. A normal insurance company pays it in about five. But a clean claim is really hard to do because I have to collect lots of data from the clinical events, from the person coming in and to create this clean claim to get there. The biggest problem we have in healthcare is that rarely do we create a clean claim. And that issue comes back down to is that we create a bill, we send it to the we send it to the provider, or or the payer, and as a result, we end up having to call, we end up having to resubmit, we have we end up having to clean that claim up, and that's where all the cost and human labor within the revenue cycle is affected. We have very little automation. We can send electronic claim, but it requires lots of labor to create the document that gets transported. What we're looking for is some way to get rid of that. It's the ability to try to limit human error as we do this creation.
1: So the quest for a clean claim, it sounds like, is is the heart of it, the holy grail. Bruce, what are some of the factors that are creating collection challenges for healthcare organizations that are dependent on efficient revenue cycles?
2: Well, it starts off with knowing what the patient's name is. I know that sounds simple, or knowing what the patient's address is. I know that sounds pretty simple too. It's interesting, is that I can basically find out everything about you. But when we register patients into the healthcare process, be it under an outpatient or a physician's office or a hospital, we ask we don't ask the questions that we need to create the clean claim because we feel it's intrusive. And so what we don't try to do is we don't try to validate the information we're collecting or we use the information from the last time Mm is where people. Kind of make that self-judgment, and they're not willing to ask the questions to make sure that the claim is clean because we're trying to deal with what we call customer service without the realization of if I get a bad claim, I'm going to make the patient upset anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, really, it's how you have to drive it, and that, and it's it's a human condition. Is that we, you know, this person who was in front of me, we know they're sick. Right. We we know they're coming into a facility for some type of procedure. We don't want to ask them a lot of questions. But if we don't ask those questions, I can't create a claim. And I end up asking them twice as many questions at the end. And then we end up on TV with that whole stack of claims that that patient has and says, the hospital doesn't know what they're doing. And it usually comes, boils back down to we just hadn't asked the right questions up front.
1: Or we didn't validate the information we had. Mm, gotcha. So let's talk about some specific processes within the context of revenue cycle management, especially ones that you believe are great candidates uh, for automation. Could you take us through two or three?
2: Yeah, I can take you through uh, quite a few. So when I'm trying to get to the bottom line and I'm trying to get to what's going on, is that first of all, I need to know if your claim going to pay or not. Think about the resources that are involved with calling an insurance company to be told that, oh, yeah, the claims are going to be paid. That can be taken care of electronically. And so I'm not using what we would call high value resources that can deal with complex problems. But there were students, they're busy calling the insurance company who limits them to only like two calls, two claims per call. So they're constantly just cycling. The other issue is that we just talked about it is, is that I need to know what kind of insurance you have so I know which rules to follow. There's no reason why I can't do that electronically. A thing called uh, EDI was created 20 years ago and gives me the ability to understand who you are, what your coverage is. I also can tell where you live and I know your address. And it's amazing how many times we get in the claim rejection, which is called not on file, which means I build an insurance for a patient that they didn't have or they didn't have it because their name was wrong or their policy number was wrong, or in some cases their address was wrong. When we look at a digital employee, they basically go to the source, they bring that source information back and they put it in so we can take action on it. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at that base of where we say we wanna create a clean claim, what that base basically tells me is, is that if I get these base information, who the patient is, who the insurance is, the authorization for the services, you know, the right name, you know, so not a, in Medicare, it's kind of funny. They need to have your real name, not your, not your pet name or any other variation of that name because it'll reject the claim. But we can make sure that all that data is, is valid in it and we don't actually have people do it. So mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about spelling. I don't have to worry about uh, fat keying. I can have that totally automated so when people are, are involved in a claim, they're dealing with what we call the complex stuff. The ICD-9 code doesn't equal what was happening within the claim. Part of the other issues that we run into are simple is, you know, I don't know if the doctors charged all the stuff. I know mm-hmm. that sounds like an interesting idea, but doctor's documentation has to equal what happened in the claim. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I come into it and, and say, "You know I'm having an operation on my right knee, and in the, today's environment with ICD10s, I have to identify it as a right knee. Mm-hmm. So I can look at the I can look at the documentation within the medical records and say, "Hey, uh, it says it had a, it had an operation on the right knee, but why am I coding it as a left knee, which happens to affect what we call the authorization, which causes a claim to reject, which causes what we call patient dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at about all these things, there's so many bits and pieces, what we call uh, errors that cause that clean claim not to happen. So as we look at that, and then the other issue that we come on the other side is, is that how do we handle when we do get a rejection? So some claims pop back at me. There's this great idea in life that's called auto-correction. There's a belief that 80% of all the claim rejections are low level and I just need one piece of information. I need to send an OR note or I need to, uh, revalidate the insurance or revalidate the name. There's mm-hmm. no reason why we're using people's times to do that. That, pay, that information is, is available. So what happens within modern technology is, is that we create a thing called a work queue. Well, the work mm. queue is just putting stuff into a bucket, so we think we'll be quicker by putting stuff into a single queue so someone can go through that queue and do it. The belief I have is that why would we create a queue when we can have some bot or mm. automatically correct that thing? So
1: I think that's the future of what we're looking at. Mm. Interesting. Let me ask you about another area that seems to be pretty hot a pretty hot topic, and that's, that's denials. So the mm. denied claims... What do you see going on with intelligent automation in that space specifically?
2: Well, a denial is a result of, like we said, bad information. And the problem we have with denials is the claims are denied for things that are reoccurring. Mm-hmm. And so if I have a, what they call a not on file, which means the account was built with the wrong insurance, there's no reason why I can't have a bot or some automation say go and find the right insurance, go back and recreate the claim and resubmit it. Mm-hmm. We also have things called, a, it's called an ADR, additional re- information request, and there's no reason why I know what it is. It's saying I need additional information. It tells me I want the nursing notes that I can go into the system, which we call the electronic medical record, pull it, package it, and send it back electronically. So denials are a request for information, and when I don't respond to those denials in a timely fashion because I put them into a work queue and nobody gets that to the work queue, I have an expiration date on that denial, which is usually about 90 days. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate denial that I can get is a timely filing denial, which means the insurance says, you know what, you didn't react. So we're going to basically deny your claim and not pay you at all. Mm. And so denials are this cascading event that we need to process through and we need to deal with them in a timely fashion. That's been exasperated by COVID and other things because we send our employees home.
1: Right, right. So b- besides the straightforward kind of process automation opportunities in revenue cycle management, where, where can AI and other more cognitive technologies be impactful in this space?
2: There's one thing we know we get in healthcare is we get paper forms. So natural language processing and OCR connected with a bot. Mm -hmm. is really where the future lies. How do I take information that is what we call flat? And that sounds like a funny word. When I have information that's written on a piece of paper that is not digitized, how do I take that information and make it what we call dynamic? And so it's been used in the uh, banking and healthcare business. It says, how do I take a remittance and make it into electronics so I can post it automatically and take actions on it? We have other things that come in. So I have letters that come into healthcare facilities all the time. How do I take that information that's flat and create it into actionable event is really what we're talking about here. So natural language processing with a really strong OCR that doesn't get false positives, allows me to take this data that nobody knows what it is because a computer can't read a flat piece of data and it makes it it makes it actionable. It, it's a game changer within healthcare. Most people think that, you know, we created an electronic medical record and it got rid of all the paper. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's kind of a fallacy. It's the same issue that we found in banking that it doesn't basically get rid of all the checks either. Check yeah. volume basically... De- was predicted to go away, it stayed flat for the last two or three years. People still write checks because it's just easier. Mm-hmm. People still write little notes on their statements because it's easier. People still write the payment information on the back of their statements because it's easier. If we could take that data that's written and that's flat into a dynamic, we
1: can actually speed up the process and actually lower the cost of healthcare. Mm. So you mentioned the pandemic a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. What effect... Has the pandemic had on revenue cycle management in healthcare organizations? Could you talk about that?
2: Yeah, I'd love to. So, revenue cycle management is a process of a bunch of people in big rooms working together to create a claim. And so, lots of data is switched between these people. As I said earlier, they're not all electronically. Next thing we know is we have a pandemic and we sent everybody home. We sent everybody home to the simplest processes and they're working on their kitchen tables. So when we look at a compliance standpoint and this compliance is, you know, the protection of what we call PHI, as that happens, all of a sudden, I've exposed all this collection information to families sitting next to their child who are having a a class. My son works for Chase, and when I went to his house in Columbus, Ohio, he's working with his son right next to him doing school. And you think about that from a healthcare worker that's dealing with personal information in the process of collecting, it's cause a disruption. Mm. The other issue that we found out is that when we sent people home, people, uh, when I first started working at home, a little story, when I first started working at home when I was in my 20s, I was so distracted, it was fun to do the laundry, there was always something else other to do than do my work. And so what we found out in healthcare is that the productivity of the workers has gone down about anywhere between fifteen to twenty percent. Now, now that it's been almost a year, it's picking back up. Mm-hmm. But we still have these productivity issues. We have people who are working on a machine today on their healthcare stuff, and then tonight they're using that same machine to get on Facebook
1: mm-hmm. or
2: Twitter or something <laughs> else. And so what we do is we've we've broken this cocoon that we put around people to make sure that our data secure. And we have all of a sudden created all these issues. The good news is, is that part of the CARES Act has given us, has given us relief. But the problem is, is that we're figuring out these people aren't coming back. And so mm-hmm. what we need to do is figure out how to make them efficient and, and make sure that they're getting what they need done at the same time that we're getting the net revenue or we're getting reimbursement. Think about it. I have people calling from their home numbers, and as we all know, a lot of people got rid of their home numbers, so they're mm-hmm. calling on their cell phone, and if it's anything like my cell phone, I mean, you know, 80% of the time it works really, really well. The other 20% it doesn't, it always has to be charged, and there's a charge involved with that, and a lot of the employees are not what we would call financially secure, so they can't mm-hmm. exactly pay the exact, so it causes all these issues. Automation is really the answer to this, is that we, if we automate the focus for these people who are working at home to what we call complicated tasks, I think we get a better outcome.
1: Mm. And and with regard to the pandemic, I mean, these things you talk about that are going on, how how is all of that impacting provider cash flows?
2: Well, most people think about it is that people aren't going to the hospital right now. So how, people are not making money off of COVID. Uh, People have COVID end up in the ICU or they end up in critical care. Hmm. The issue is that where hospitals make their money on is the elective surgeries, people coming in for their knee surgeries, people coming in for, you know, different types of procedures. All that stuff has stopped. So most hospitals in the U.S., even though we hear that they're at capacity, Mm -hmm. and that means when they say capacity, they mean capacity on the ICU, not the rest of the hospital. Most hospitals are pretty empty. Most hospitals are losing money because they're not having the ability to cover what they call their fixed costs. It's it's as simple as when I go to the airport to to make a trip. You know, the old days I would wait in line to go through security. This week I went to the airport and I walked right up and got through on a Monday morning, which is really unheard of. So the issue for hospitals right now is is that they're trying to collect the cash that's available through what's going on. They're trying to collect the old cash. They've sent everybody home, but at the same time, they're not seeing the normal process and the normal mm-hmm. business coming through. So they're all struggling from a financial standpoint. So in reality, is is that next year they're going to have to cut costs to cut co- to cover what they need to make sure that the not-for-profits and they're making money, that they have the ability to service the public. So it's 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 causing a a problem in how do I support my community mm-hmm. because I don't have the financial stability. The financial stability of the organization requires a, a pretty much a, a total blend of everything going on. You can't fill your hospital full of COVID patients and actually make money. It's, it's kind of an interesting because COVID doesn't care who you are, but it also it doesn't have the high intensity to cover
1: the cost. Mm. Interesting. So, Bruce, why have... So many healthcare providers been hesitant or slow to adopt intelligent automation, specifically in their revenue cycle management processes. And do you see this? Do you see a different trend now?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Why are they so slow? It's because most people who learn how to do revenue cycle have learned it through on-the-job training. I can't go to Columbia or I can't go to a university and get a degree in revenue cycle management. Hmm. As I said, I've been in the business for 40 years. When I first started, the guy who ran revenue cycle didn't have a degree, and when you looked at his desk, it didn't have anything on it because all they were doing was pushing papers, and they were basically saying, how do I push this paper around to create a claim to get paid? So the Mm -hmm. professionalism of revenue cycle has happened over probably over the last 40 years, but I still can't get a degree in it. So there's no place where I can sit there and say, hey, you know, here's I learned how to do the accounting and this is how you do it. And this is the most efficient way. What's happened is, is that most people are judged on a couple of numbers and people focus on that and they're afraid to make change because if I don't do my job well, I end up getting fired. What's happened with some of it is some of the younger guys or gals have come into the business and said, you know, this makes no sense. So we're starting to see a change, but it's a change through time. I wrote an article 20 years ago on auto, auto correction. Today, I would say that very little auto correction has taken place because most people coming into the business don't understand the process of how to make that happen. So, revenue cycle in the old days was a financial or an accounting or or a kind of what I call a business processing function. Revenue cycle of today is an IT function that requires business processing. And I think that's the change. And I think that's what's going to change the future. And the other issue is happening is we just talked about COVID. COVID is going to accelerate automation because I don't have the margins Mm -hmm. and I don't have the ability to spend more money to get the same results. Mm. So we're starting to see some of this. But some of the interesting things that's happened is, is that we've seen companies jump into the automation and promise the world. Right. And not deliver. It you know, it's um they take they tend to jump in take, try to take a piece and it's causing what I would say bad bad outcomes so people start not to believe what it is. Right. So it's what we need to do is we need to go back and look at the reality of our businesses that I'm not going to solve the most complicated problem with it. Why would I do that? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take the low level, low level, repetitive functions out of the process. So when I hire people, They work on the most complicated stuff. It's also more satisfying for the employee to do that. So most people don't understand automation is not about taking jobs away. It's about making my employees more satisfied. Mm -hmm. And it also gives me the ability to pay them more. If they're performing higher functions, it brings a professionalism into it. And it actually turns into a a great paying job. But automation is the future. We don't have much of a choice at this point. Um, If you do not automate Eventually, you will not have your job as a, in, a, in the
1: revenue cycle. It's just not going to mm. happen. So for those healthcare providers that have not yet started you know, down this path, they haven't really embraced intelligent automation, how do, how do you and, and your FTI colleagues advise mm. them to get started?
2: You know, so we'll basically talk about how do you create a backlog of things to do? So we call it a center of excellence. Uh, and, that, and that's a fancy word for saying, let's get some people who concentrate on how the process works. And let's get the ROI or the return on investment and we stack up the ability and, and teach people how to keep that list of things they want to accomplish filled up so that they can actually get the true benefit. So it, it's a game of one process after another. As we said, we start we start small. We talked earlier about you know verifying insurance, and it's interesting is that the belief in it's been best practice forever. Before you come to the insur- before you come to the hospital, I should verify your insurance. That doesn't happen all the time because if you've mm-hmm. been to the hospital before, someone's going to copy the old one, but it changes. So I should be verifying the insurance before I send the bill. I should be verifying the insurance before you show up. And I should be verifying any type of insurance before you end up in bad debt. But the process we have is that it's so labor intensive, no one ever gets to that. There's a deep, dark secret in health care that nobody touches a bill above below $1,000. We just don't have the labor to do that, and the, and the issue is, is that we're doing a disservice to our organizations, and so we're we're, we're going to have to start seeing where this is going to take us. If we don't take actions,
1: we're we're, we're going to actually be behind the eight ball. Hmm. So Bruce, let's let's end with this last question. What does the future of revenue cycle management look like, in your opinion, say five to ten years down the road?
2: So in five to ten years, I think we're finally going to accomplish what uh, I had a CEO when I worked at Morton Plant Meese Hospital in Colorado, Florida asked me in 1980. He basically said, Bruce, I want a concierge service for people who walk in the hospital. And it's an interesting idea. he says, "I I want it like Marriott. Well, you know, I travel for a living and Marriott still takes my credit card when I check in. But, I think we can actually accomplish the ability for a patient to show up in the hospital on a scheduled admission. And say you know, you know welcome, Mr. Hollowell. Uh, your room is ready. Would you like to go up right now? Automation gives me that ability, and what the future is is that we're going to be able to not only know who you are what you are, but we're not going to have to ask you a lot of questions. We're going to be able to engage with you prior to your arrival, making sure that your copays are paid. We're going to give you the ability to digitally do that on your cell phone. You're not Mm -hmm. going to have to worry about calling a facility. You'll be able to do self-scheduling for your doctors. And if something happens with your claim in the future, you're not going to have to worry about it because there's going to be ability to redigest that information and to make sure that I did get the right information, but I can also automatically fix that stuff so you get paid. The hospital gets paid in a timely fashion and you feel comfortable about the care you received. That That's five to ten years away. I think it's probably mm-hmm. closer to five. But we're eventually going to get to... That automation. There was a uh, story about robots who were uh, during COVID, which is kind of interesting because that was the way they did it years ago. Uh And I panned out a robot visiting patients. So we can do the same thing on a revenue standpoint where you can actually interact with the business office without having to call anybody by using a chat box, but by answering questions on your phone, Mm -hmm. it's going to change the whole environment. It will get rid of that angst of, oh my goodness, I got a bill and I've got 15 bills and I don't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's great things happening.
1: That's great. Fascinating stuff. Well, Bruce, I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and insights and please be safe and we will talk soon.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to Generation Digital Workforce. If you want to hear more about RPA, AI, and other cognitive technologies that are shaping the future of work, join us next time as we continue to go deeper on these topics with industry innovators and experts. To make sure you never miss a future episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you've liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. It's one of the best ways to help more people find valuable content for show notes and more info, visit us at blueprism.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.